Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Joe here from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish there was a podcast out there where the hosts have a hard time staying on topic and rely on their guests to carry the show? Well, then I have the thing for you. Come listen to me and my brother Steve talk about all things nerdy every week on the DNA podcast. Well, we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We are going to be bringing you our next edition of our subclass rankings from the D&D 5 class ethos. Uh, today, again, another fan-chosen uh, selection. We are going to dive into the Cleric class and talk about all 576-something subdomains. That 14. Are, I, 14. There are 14. There, there are 14, 14. Take 14 domains. I know. You'll I know, be okay. This is, uh, for everybody uh, listening, this is definitely going to be a two-part episode, both sort of by design, but also because we want to make sure that we're giving uh, enough time to all 14 domains. There is a lot to say about them, and there's a lot to say about the cleric class uh, in general, and I think that uh, um, I think that I will speak for everybody because we all said this uh, in, our, in our pre-show conversation. I have a lot more appreciation for cleric now than I did before doing this exercise. This exercise was really, really valuable to me. And it really gave me some, uh, it gave me some ideas on domains that I never thought I would be interested in playing previously. It opened my eyes to some things that for one, I found this, this exercise really, really valuable, um, to go ahead and, and, and lay them out this way. Um, Luanico, what did you think? I know you said something similar. So how, how did you? So without duplicating the exact words that you just said, <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, all of those things. To that, I would add, I've never played a cleric in 5e. I have played clerics in every other edition of the game, including 4th edition. I have briefly, well, I made a character in 4th edition. I didn't actually play in an ongoing game. But I have not even made a cleric 
without researching anything of the options, I just kind of made a cleric because I was told a group needed a healer. And I'm like, well, I know all the mechanical bits and pieces that go into making a healer. So I made a healer. I didn't really make a cleric. I didn't dive into what made a cleric a cleric. Yeah. And, and I think that's unfortunate. I feel, I guess, I suppose that a lot of people are in that boat. That's why we think a cleric can only be that. Yep. Right. And let's not let, let, let's not be dis, disingenuous. Nearly every cleric we're going to talk about is an exceptional healer. However, that's not all they do. That doesn't necessarily mean that's their role in the party, whether it be mechanical or otherwise. That's just something they can do. And there's a difference between something you can do and your purpose, right? So I, I, that's kind of what I got. Yeah, I would I would say even to put it on a finer point every cleric can heal that's true but for every cleric that is not always the best thing that it does for one there are many clerics who have stronger abilities elsewhere than in healing i, I agree with you I, i'm thinking back now so i'm i'm playing a, a warforged cleric in an eberron game right now i don't know that i have ever played a cleric before and that sounds so bizarre to say that like no, I've, I don't know that I've ever played a cleric, but I'm honestly I'm honestly not sure if I have played a cleric before. It was not memorable, right? Um, and yeah. so that's why I found this exercise really valuable. I definitely get where both of you are coming from, and I think that's the delusion that most people are under is that to be a cleric is to just be the healer. But I actually have Lee Wanika to thank for breaking me of that many years ago, because uh, I was playing in one of his campaigns and I was one of the last guys to the table, so I got stuck with the cleric role which made me actually do some research to try to figure out how to play a cleric and make it fun. Um, and that's when I realized that in third edition in particular, but it started out a little bit in second too. Once they started breaking the cleric out of that, I wear chainmail, I have a mace and I heal you periodically. I turn the undead roll and gave them some more depth and flavor. They've been a kick-ass, badass class for a while. They've got some struggles like, not previous to Tasha's having a race that is lined up to help them stack their yeah. prime attribute like every other race, that every other class that there is. And uh, one of the other things I started to try to do to really look into how to recommend building a cleric was I, I kind of went down the race or lineage rabbit hole. Mm. And I got yeah. probably almost to the bottom of it. I mean, I've got a list in my notes that tells me in the end that only a furball gets a plus two to wisdom. Yeah. Uh, but I listed out every race that could possibly have an increase to wisdom for its primary attri attribute before I realized that with the advent of custom lineages and Tasha's, Tasha's yeah. as long as your storyteller is willing, you can make a badass cleric out of any race. Any and class. That, or any lineage. Um, Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, specifically cleric. You can make a badass cleric out of any race and lineage combo. Right. Uh, because of that customization. And that is what Cleric has needed, I think, to finally step out of the shadows and the 5e is going to bring to it. Is yep. A lot of people didn't like Cleric also because they were screwed out of not being able to have the plus two to their primary stat. Now that you got that versatility, a lot more class race combos or are more uh, achievable. And I think that's a really good thing. But Anric Hammerfist was the cleric I wound up making in Lee's game, and I chose the Domain of War just to be able to do something different. And I wasn't the party's main fighter, but I was very much a frontline cleric. Uh, and he was a tactician, and like just there were a lot of things that I chose from what was recommended in the book at the time for ways that you could bring that into it that I really started to realize that 
cleric is really broad. It's all about the religion, the church, and the traditions behind it. And it's got so much flavor and so much versatility. Um, it can already, I mean, it can be in terms of party role, just about any of them. It can be, it can almost main tank, you know, it can be a damage soak. You can make a cleric that can be a ranged caster using arcane magic. You can, you can do just about anything with them. Will they be as, as great as an arcane caster is a straight arcane caster? No, but what the domains do is they take that concept of multi-classing fighter cleric or that concept of multi-classing cleric mage and they bring it into a domain you know the arcana domain is a cleric mage effectively i can think of uh no greater praise for the way you played anric than to say than to kind of talk about it from the from the storyteller perspective you took a role that needed to be played and then you did those things quite well i might add and when they needed to be done but you also took the character in a direction that fit your what was going on. You played him in, in, in a Norse-like tradition. You did all the things. Uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, Thor was your deity of yep. choice. And uh, everything about you was in that, I'm in for the fight. And while you were a frontline fighter, as you say, uh, you're selling yourself a bit short because you outblasted the mage often and frequently. Aside from the one scene where the mage quite foolishly second edition rules through a lightning bolt, 15 foot wide, tw- uh, 40 foot long. <laughs> and killed half uh, of us. Yeah, that was awesome. Stone, stone dining room. Uh, and, and damn near took out the entire party except for two players who were smart enough to get under the table. So they're out of the line of this ricocheting lightning bolt that he did at max, max range. With the exception of that moment, you consistently outblasted the blaster. And, and we're going to get into a lot of specifics as we go through these subclasses. And we're going to get into a lot of specifics and we do our episode on roles within the party uh, and how different roles can be filled in different ways. And Andrik was a great explanation of that long before 5th edition rules came up. We now have a lot more mechanical support for the things you did through role play, natural desire, and conversations with me in conjunction with a few support books and texts that were out at the time. Like the cleric, the uh, there were the, a bazillion books about everything back then. Yeah, I mean the cleric's handbook, I believe, is the one that was the one we were. Then like here, just use this, pick something, kind of thing. But it gave me a lot of inspiration, though. I mean, it was a good supplement. Most of those handbooks were. Yeah, you know, uh, it gave you the kits were a great way to start. This, I think, and the subclasses for clerics. Quite honestly, it may not be the finish that every player has to do. But this is right. This is the, this is the key element of that finishing sauce. Uh, I, and I think when we rank, we're going to talk about flavor and we're going to rank flavor. But understand, with very few exceptions, none, not one of these things is flavorless. Just some are more than others. On the flavor front, just keep in mind, uh, any of you out there thinking about playing a cleric, that when you're reading these domains, the domain's only half the story of your cleric's flavor. The other half is the god you choose, or the religious sect. Um, there's a whole lot more that goes into it. So some of the flavor you do need to create on your own. So definitely, or work with your storyteller or the current uh, world or mythos you're playing in. Um, because that is where a lot of it was fun. Taking my cleric of being handed a role and saying, how am I going to play make, play a cleric and make it fun? I'm going to be a Viking cleric. And, you know, coming up that, with that is what took me down that road. 
and pro tip for storytellers out there, when a player does something like that and they say, what is my deity like? The proper question is, what do you think he's like? Get the answer. And then you say, as long as it fits your world, yes, that. And you double down with everything you do on that thing. If anybody within the sound of my voice thinks I had that deity all figured out in that world, in that game, before Glenn played that role, you're flat wrong. I did not. I saw what Glenn was doing. He asked me questions. I answered with questions. And the answer to those questions informed my answers and built the world and built the deity. Well, to be fair, his deity was Thor. He didn't have to reach far. No, there's a lot of common knowledge with that one. <laughs> but, but all of the other points still stand. But Thor has been done many ways, many times. All right, <laughs> let's let's dive in here. So uh, like all of our other subclass ranking episodes, we are going to go in order of appearance. Uh, and so since we are aiming for this to be a two episode show, we're going to start, we're going to start and make it through the player's handbook, uh, in episode one here. And then, uh, episode two, we will, uh, we will pick up with, uh, with Skag and Xanathars and, and, and go on that way. Actually, we'll start with the, with the DMG, uh, for episode two, but we'll make it through the seven domains that are in the player's handbook to start. We're going to rank them in four categories. So there'll be, uh, we're going to talk about its mechanics and its flavor as a subclass. We're also going to talk about whether or not uh, we have played or want to play, kind of where that desire factor is uh, on the subclass. Um, and then we have a pool of points that we can go ahead and distribute as basically bonus points uh, for wildcard to go ahead and kind of round out their scores and everything like that. So we're going to do them in book order and we're going to start talking uh, kind of how they uh, how they compare against each other. So let's go ahead and uh, and get started then. So we're going to start again with the player's handbook. We're going to dive into the knowledge domain first. And I think that most subclasses, like, like most times when we see the first subclass for a particular class in the player's handbook, the closest thing that I can say is that, yep, this is a well-rounded standard template subclass that isn't particularly flashy. It's not crappy. It just it sort of is. It's very middle of the road for me. And knowledge definitely fit into that, although I did wind up ranking it pretty far down the scale, mostly because I, I didn't really care for its mechanics. And, and more than not caring for its mechanics, I thought that other subclasses had far superior mechanics. Let me go ahead and reframe that. Fair. It's a solid assessment. I mean, the knowledge domain, it's got potential. You know, it's got some meat. It's got some stuff to it. I mean, basically, it's the cleric version of a skill monkey or operator. It's designed to help you get extra skills, which can help fill in a role if you're missing a rogue or another skill-heavy class in your party, because it lets you choose a number of skills right off the bat, and you get expertise for double proficiency in them. And then it's got some interesting knowledge kind of flavor. I liked how it went to visions of the past for its highest level ability, you know, going beyond knowledge in terms of books and into knowledge in terms of divining. And I think it needed a little bit more of that flavor that it has right there. in it's last spread out earlier through it to make it more fun. Um, but it, it's definitely got potential, you know, the sixth level ability kind of dabbles on it where it can read kind of the surface thoughts of another creature within range. But you're right. I, I don't think that it really, it very much scratches the surface. It really does not plumb the depths of what a knowledge domain cleric could have been. So 
I totally love this class. And make no doubt about it, this is one that I would enjoy playing greatly. Like, I gave it a 10 out of 10, and would you want to play this? That said, I would only play this with certain storytellers in certain style of games. Like, this would be a great candle keep. Oh, yeah. Claire. Oh, no, absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's lots of ways I could make an amazing character out of this. That said, that said, it doesn't fit in every campaign, and I clearly understand that. A roleplay-heavy campaign so when you sit down to session zero and the storyteller says, hey, I'm looking at doing a really heavy role play kind of thing, you know, while there may be combats here or there, it's not going to be significant. It's mostly about the role play. It's mostly about the exploration, whatever. That type of thing. I'm like, that's the game. I'm building this character and I will have it in my back pocket for that moment. The late level brilliance, Glenn, you spoke to it, Visions of the Past. Arguably, in my opinion, one of the greatest capstones I've seen to date, regardless of class. This is the cool moment, the climax moment. When you rip this off and you know what the bad guy's doing, where the bad guy's doing it from, and you put all the pieces together for your party. When the whole party's in paralysis, uh, uh, analysis paralysis, can't figure out what to do. There's four different options and we don't know what to do. And the knowledge domain cleric says, Wah! and comes out with this. You've just made the moment of the campaign. And there are not a lot of capstone abilities that you can say that about. That ability sold me on this. And I have previously said, and I am on record, that I don't care for higher level abilities. I have not liked many capstones to date. This one, I would dump any opportunity to subclass or, or multi-class to make sure I got this. If I'm playing a Knowledge Domain Cleric, I am sticking all the way to the end for that ability. And you can't say that about many subclasses. That in and of itself is powerful flavor. If there's an ability that makes you want to stick it, then that's flavor. That's that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that this is going to be something that I think we're going to find throughout these domains is that I found grading the mechanics on these really, really difficult. It was and tough. It's, it was tough. And I think that part of it is because of the number of domains that are there and how, uh, like, I will I will not share with you all the the machinations and the spreadsheets and the charts and the and the multicolored pens and the sticky notes that I used to come up with and the string oh, goodness. on the on the wall straight uh, out of straight out of it's always sunny in Philadelphia with Charlie like I see it you know um totally like that's that was me this you know, yesterday and today when I was when I was going ahead and doing these sounds like my um, spire murder board yeah you know, totally, you know, and, and so it's like, I, I found that really, really difficult. And partly because so many of them have such similar abilities right. and there are just so effing many of them. Like there are just so many domains, you know, but every um, one of them is distinct. Well, most of them, of them are distinct, distinct yeah. and different. So they yeah. do all have, they do they all, all have, have their the same own variation. Flavor. Yeah. 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 Well, what I found was interesting is cleric more so than any of the subclasses we've done before had more capstone abilities that I liked than not. That is powerful. That's why I'm saying we're going to get on to other ones, but I definitely want to say that that's important. It's important to note that, that uh, as a class, they're all standing out. And you mentioned it, Josh, it was difficult to rank these mechanics. 
And I think it's important to note that, again, and I said it once before, and I'm going to refer, use this refrain a lot, we are ranking them compared to each other, not compared to good or bad. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, I wanted to add that looking through some of the features, going through them, expertise was spoken about, great. The spell list for me fell down just a shade. They're decent spells. I'm just not in love with all of the all of the spells on this domain list. Um, I think I got what they were driving for. I really liked it a lot. But I found, uh, even though I previously said I use domain spell lists as my primary driver for flavor, I found that this, the features actually drove specifically the 17th level feature, drove the flavor for me, which is a bit unusual to the rest of them, which is why it surprised me is how much I love this last. This subclass. I didn't go into it thinking I would love this subclass. I went into it thinking, what a great NPC subclass. I would build NPCs out of this. But then I said, this would be fun as hell to play. I would really want to play this. Again, I still need a game that would allow me my moments to shine. It could even shine in a, in a combat a heavier game. But your storyteller would have to be really good at making sure your character has the ability to shine. So storytellers out there, if somebody comes up to you and rolls a, a knowledge domain cl uh, cleric, be sure to build in those moments to your campaign. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because Always I, I to your player, your players. I, I am right with you about uh, NPC clerics of knowledge. Like that's like your clerics of Denier, your clerics of Ogham. Like those, I have been using those as NPCs for as long as I have known enough to make good NPCs. Like, that's really, like... And I think that that I think that kind of goes to, to what you're saying. Maybe that's why my desire to play score is so low there, is because I'm not sure... I'm not sure that I would have fun playing that... You know what I mean? Like, that character. Right. And I think maybe that's where kind of where it's coming from. So, and to know, be I fair, think that's a really cool observation. When we do these these rankings, something that everybody out there should probably keep in mind is that we're kind of ranking it from two perspectives. We're ranking it both from a storyteller perspective and a player perspective, and we can't really separate them because they both exist, right? So some of these I look at, and I'm exactly like exactly what they're saying. You know, knowledge, it's cool, it's solid. I don't terribly want to play it, but it'll make a great NPC, you know? Well, and I would say for me, I would love to have somebody roll one of these in one of my games because I write, I can write for this class. I can build and craft a campaign that would deal with and work with this subclass. Um, I wouldn't unless it was there. True. No, absolutely. But I would love and I would greatly enjoy writing because you have to, as a storyteller, craft something that make you can't have a 17th level reveal that's oh and the big bad guys in the castle over there that's not going to be good enough right it, you've got to 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 write something that is epic to write something that is legendary you got to have a character who is, has the legendary ability to go with it right and that's what i really would look forward to on either side of the screen all right so let's move on to our second one here. And this, again, we're staying in the player's handbook. And we're going to the one that I actually ranked highest of all the subclasses in its mechanics, uh, which, again, kind of surprised me by the time it was done. We're talking about the life domain. And, you know, Liwanika and Glenn, you guys both hit on it earlier uh, in our introduction. Like, clerics have always been the healer types, right? And... 
you know, like its name suggests, the life domain is absolutely the heavy hitter of the healer cleric types, right? That he is, or they are the absolute healer and pretty much a, kind of, kind of a one trick pony to the point, right? Um, except that they have got that killer right hook at level eight. And we're going to talk, I think about the level eight powers um, that clerics get a lot because there's a lot there's a lot of fruit on that particular vine. But when you've got your your healer cleric who is you know adding two plus the spell level to any heal, I mean that's a lot of hit points. When you are able to heal your entire party at five times your caster level, when you are able to heal somebody and heal yourself too, like that's biblical reference right there, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. So you know, but not only that, but Level eight, all of a sudden, after being healer, 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 all of a sudden, now on any successful weapon attack, you've got a a cleric that can do uh, a D8 or 2D8 radiant damage. Now, radiant is one of those damage types that is not easily uh, is not easily resisted, right? And so that I think is a fabulous ability to add to this cleric and then you know and then at level 17 which again clerics with a power at level 8 and a level at 17 they get a lot of turn stuff in the middle there but that was always that's a wide gap for me but but then at level 17 when all of a sudden all of their heals are always full dice heals oh i mean mechanically this this one for me was the one that did it for me above all the rest of them and that was a tough that that's a tough decision to make you know to be honest you're right and i rated it mechanically middle in and that wasn't fair. I chose that because I kind of went middling across the life cleric because it's kind of like the trope cleric. It's playing back to that. You're just I don't want to play it, but it's great. <laughs> but it's not really if you think about it. And this is the yeah. challenge I would give somebody else out there that was thinking about playing one. Because when you look at those abilities, and Divine Strike does add a lot to it. Uh, but something we didn't talk about before is that also kind of tells you what kind of cleric you're playing is yep. that level 8 ability. Because throughout all of them, you either get potent casting or some form of a damage add to weapon attacks, right? So potent casting, which is what knowledge got, is getting your wisdom modifier as a bonus to damage for cantrips. That says, hey, this is a non-frontline, kind of back up a little bit, cleric. But if your ability, your damage bonus ability is a plus 1d8 radiant damage that goes up to a plus 2d8, at I don't remember what level, 14th, I think. That says, this is a cleric who steps forward to the front and stands on the front lines. So clerics can fill a lot of roles, and when you're looking at these abilities, they kind of tell the tale of what you can become. It also gets heavy armor proficiency, too. So. Exactly. They get heavy armor, too. So they don't get martial weapons. They're not a straight-up war cleric. But they're like, we will stand in the thick of battle and keep you alive. We are badass. And they're going to deal good damage, too. So they're not just a healer. But on top of that, the AoE heal for their channel, div channel divinity is freaking awesome. All of it is is top notch. It was just that tropishness that made me keep it, keep it lower on the mechanics scale. And it could be higher on flavor, but this one really does leave a lot of the flavor to you. Because you're either playing healer extraordinaire of Doom. Or you got to come up with flavor on your own through how you play the character, the things that you do with it, um, and your spell choices. Because one of the upsides of your domain spells is they also tell the tale of what kind of domain this is. And all of the domain spells for the life domain cover your healing and some of your buffs. 
your main heal spells are right there in it, already, always prepared, which leaves you free to not have to keep those healing spells in your spell in your mind. You can now expand through your spell list and find more flavor. You can choose that super cool spell that almost nobody ever uses because it's groovy, but not quite groovy enough to make the list because you got to keep people alive and you can't afford it. You know, so it, it there's a lot of ways you can make it cool. And I did. I actually made one of my uh, roles in my Drinking and Dragons game a life cleric. Uh, domain of life, water genasi, cleric raised on ships. It was a pirate cleric named Salty. And Salty talked like a sailor, but she'd keep your ass alive. She was awesome. Um, and she was played fantastically by one of my players. I won't throw out his name because I don't have his permission, but shout out. Salty was amazing in that game. It was a lot of fun. In my Drinking and Dragons game, uh, the the big NPC at the center of everything that was going on, also a life domain cleric so but didn't know did not know that she was a it was i'd come up with a wonky backstory did not exactly know that she was a cleric um but that all of her abilities came from that class so um you know for anybody that was playing at my table um and remembers uh koratani koratani was a life domain cleric so so josh you said something that called to mind like how great is it actually but before I go into that, I did want to say I also rank the mechanics for this subclass top among all subclasses. This was the highest mechanical uh, ranking for me uh, that we're going to get to. However, I found, and it's not unique to this class, so I did not mark it down for this, that radiant damage, that scaling damage that they got at 8th level, which many subclasses get, I found it to be at 8th level not that great. 2d8 is only a plus, an average of plus four per successful attack. Drew, it is a little bit low for that late. Right. So in addition to that, all, for not having necessarily a prime stat being your attacking stat, because this is specifically for, oh, that says actually damage in combat. I don't recall. Please correct me. If it's weapon damage, that actually downgrades it even more. If it's any damage, then that would upgrade it greatly. No, it's weapon damage. If it's weapon damage, like most of the ones I read, plus four to weapon damage at level eight is not terribly significant. And when it scales, it gets better, yes. But by the time it scales, I think it scales less than it needs to be. I think it should start at that higher dice and then scale to the next dice above that at 14. And that would, to me, be a better and still balanced effect. So, so, so you think instead of a, a D8 at 8 and a 2D8 at 14, it should be a D8 at 8 and a D10 at 14? Something like that. Oh, I or, thought you were or, suggesting uh, 2D8 at 8. 2D8 at 8. 2D8 at 8. And 2D10. Uh, 2D8 or 2D10 later on. Okay. Increasing the die size would make sense. They've done that mechanic with a lot of other things. That would be consistent. I'd be willing to play test that and see how it worked out. I, I just don't think, one, damage in general, when you're talking about rolling dice, unless we're talking about a critical hit, is significant. I don't think it scales. And we've had this discussion with we you have, yeah. you're right. many times. I just don't think it's all, It's it sounds better than it is. That ability isn't major for either way it goes, though, because it's exactly the same for every one of them. It happens at level eight, and it's either your wisdom bonus to cantrip damage, which even if your wisdom bonus is plus five, max... You know, that's only plus five yeah. damage and it never yep. gets bigger. Yep, um, exactly. But 
other than other than cantrip scale. So that takes care of the scaling issue. But, but that's why I, I just wanted to make the point that I don't think it's quite as great as you alluded to, Josh. But but I never took off from that because it's consistent among all 14 classes. Yeah, correct. All of them have it. So it doesn't take anything away from any of them. Yeah, that's fair. But it does also add, even if it doesn't add a full on combat strength. It does add yep. Yep. a flavor piece to it because, I mean, yeah. you're depending on which one you've got for the weapon attack in particular, the wisdom damage to cantrips is kind of blase through them all. But the weapon damage type changes, as you know, based on the one. So you got radiant, you got electrical. Um, there's lots of ways that that adds flavor and coolness. But you're right. Mechanically, in terms of adding level appropriate strength, it's a little weak. So. Just a point I wanted to make. I think it's a fabulous class. I think I agree with what has been said previously. The fact that it is the trope is why I don't have a particular need or desire to play it, though that is the kind of cleric that I built and didn't play previously. I marked it down for that, but for flavor, I marked it up. For mechanics, it was number one. I think it's so very strong that it cannot be discounted. It just cannot be discounted. Totally agree. Let's move on to the next one in the player's handbook. This is the light domain. And again, I kind of graded this one fairly middle of the road, but I also thought that its mechanics were probably its strongest its strongest feat, right? Its strongest feature. And we've talked before about how, you know, the D&D 5e rules are written in such a way that rolling more dice is good for you and bad for the bad guys, right? Like if you're imposing disadvantage or if you're granting advantage and things like that, that that's the way to succeed under the D&D 5e rules. And so, you know, I thought that giving this domain two different ways to impose disadvantage before level six, I thought really kind of spoke to what its feature, what its kind of core features were. You know, even if you look at its capstone ability, you know, the, the ability to grant, uh, you know, grant disadvantage on foes against fire or radiant damage. So now, now we're starting to see how like groups of clerics can work together or groups of fighters can work together. If you've got your paladin doing radiant damage and you've got your light cleric who's granting disadvantage on radiant attacks, you know, that kind of thing. Now we're starting to see synergy between various alpha strike abilities. You could make a party of all clerics based on their versatility, honestly. Oh, sure. And cover Absolutely. just about every, every role in the party have more healing than you know what to do with. Well, you avoid that problem as far as more healing than you know what to do with by just having the life cleric do the healing and everybody else take more of their other spells options and have everybody else limit their healing spell options and just have the life cleric have that and then everybody just kind of... No, life guy main healer, but everybody's a backup healer. Oh, you yeah. just keep Cure Light in your back pocket at first level. Yeah. Well, first level there's, there's healing cantrips. Everybody can get everybody uh, off the ground. I I, I had a, a a little thing about the light domain cleric. I want to shout out to a player at one of my tables. The player playing Beauregard, he plays a light domain cleric, and he is freaking brilliant at it. He plays this as a blaster, and good lord, when he goes to firing, he is just that. Uh, he has done so many great things, and his his fan favorite is Scorching Ray. That's the one he uses most frequently. It's it's practically a signature ability. Um, you know, I'm almost at the point, not quite there yet, Beauregard, 
but that I almost want to say I give give him some ability to just do it and not have him cost a spell slot. That's his that's his thing. Um, I am absolutely not there yet, Beauregard, but I'm telling you, he that's how frequently he uses it, and he is damn good at playing this role. Uh, I I just you know I'm like, do you want to build a blaster cleric? Do this. Do you? Do you really punk? This is the way to build a blaster cleric. Here's my one thing with this: is that you're absolutely right. Early in this character's progression, this character is super sound, but it it's it kind of falls off at the end. Like I I do like the level 17 ability, but this is kind of like it kind of front loads, right? It's like uh, it gets the ability to add the 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 2d10 damage. You, you were talking about damage scaling with the life cleric a second ago. Like here's one that 2d10 additional damage at second level and then it's kind of back to imposing disadvantage i think that from a flavor point of view and i'm actually surprised i didn't rank the flavor higher but i actually think that from a flavor point of view the way that it imposes disadvantage is really cool but again you know i think that at the end of the day it just didn't it didn't stack well with the other subclasses so i marked it down for mechanics because of the exact issues you you spoke about and then up for uh flavor for the exact issues you spoke Cool. So for me, for this one, I'm going to be honest, I didn't give it a fair ranking and I didn't try to give it a fair ranking. All due respect to Beauregard, because I play in that game with him and he plays Beauregard very well. uh, And his light cleric is wicked cool. It just doesn't do it for me. Um, When I whenever I was looking at a cleric, I've never really thought about blending divine and arcane magic. That's never really been the way that my mind goes. And it's cool. And it is. And I'm looking at it and I'm trying to give it a fair shake. And I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have just gave it all twos. So it landed second from the bottom. Because <laughs> <laughs> it does have some it does have some OK stuff. I mean, it's domain spells line up with the ranged arcana damage rule. So that does bring a lot of that to the table if your party's missing a mage. Like if you don't have somebody who's going to be able to blast for you and you still need a healer, solid choice. And I could make one and have a good time with it. I just probably wouldn't unless the role was handed to me. And it's, I mean, it gets a bonus cantrip. As it was with Beauregard, that was originally a pre-gen that he took on yeah. the role. And so, and that's when you suck it up, you take it, and you might find the greatest role of your life. You might make that role legendary. But the um, bonus cantrip of light, meh, meh for a cantrip of light, just light. Yeah, I, th- I think honestly that that's sort of cheeky. I think that that's sort of, that's just cheeky. Like, you know, I, I, because I, I mean, if you think about it, like, yeah, he gets it at first level. He gets other things at first level. You know, giving the light domain cleric light as a free cantrip. I, I almost wonder if that was a joke from the game devs. Yeah, it, it's a little bit. I mean, maybe it was just like, well, we have to. I mean, it doesn't make sense if we don't. But it doesn't add anything to it. Um, so <laughs> it's like giving the grave cleric spare the dying. Like, come on, of course, of course you do. Oh. But it didn't just give Grave Cleric Spare the Dying, but we'll get to that when we get to it. But it uses a reaction, and I think that's wicked cool. Because in in Action Economy, reaction isn't set up enough. And I'm constantly looking for reaction abilities to give myself something else that I can do on my turn. Um, So having that reaction for disadvantage number of times equal to your wisdom mod, that is solid. But you're right. Right after that and then the second level AoE, because that's a 30-foot AoE at 2d10, self-centered. Um, at second level, that's hot as hell, literally, because I think it's fire damage or radiant damage. But then it does kind of fall off a little bit. I agree. It could be a great class. It could be a great domain. It could be a great character. I haven't found the right role to play one in yet. I personally think that light was just not enough. I'm fine with them giving the light cantrip, but I think 
because you're listing it as a feature, you say all light clerics get the light cantrip. However, for them, this cantrip works like X. And now it doubles its distance or it has some level, some kind of resistance to darkness. So light can't be snuffed out as easily or something to that. So it's better than everybody else's like just increasing its range and you wouldn't even have to double it you know just throw an extra 10 or 20 feet on it make it brighter i like to i like doubling it double is nice because it's what light is 60 feet i think it's 30 30 bright light 30 dim light 30 right so doubling that distance so it's bright light 60 and dim light uh 120 that's cool i think that that adds that would make the light cantrip in that spot perfect like, it is weak, it is bland sauce at best, just as is. And I would say that for any of the first-level abilities that grant a simple cantrip. Even Spare the Dying needs to do something slightly better. Which it does for Grave Cleric. Right. Any cantrip, if it's a domain feature, needs to be better for the person having the domain than any other person getting it. Otherwise, why do I even need the subclass? Why don't I just take Magic Initiated or Faithful Initiated or take the appropriate feat when I get it and get the cantrip anyway? That underscores what we were saying earlier about how Tasha's has changed more than any other class. Tasha's optional rules changed a lot about how clerics can be built. Now, I would go on to say that I found the higher level features, because they're based on and are simply improvements on fairly weak mid-range features, and I am specifically looking at Corona of Light and Improved Flare, I think they're okay, but they're not knocking my socks off. And I spoke about how many 17th level abilities were so freaking awesome that I'm like, I would stick it out for that. This is one of the ones, if I'm a player, and as Glenn said, not a disrespect to, to the player playing Beauregard at all, but if I'm playing this, I'm probably taking this. And at some point, dealer's choice as to when, I'm probably multi-classing the Paladin. See, I'm going to have to disagree with you on improved warding flare. I think that's actually a solid ability. Taking that reaction and being able to now inflict that disadvantage because I'm not going to be as a light cleric. I'm not going to be a frontline fighter. I'm going to be that back guy blasting, right? So how often are they going to take a swing at me? At 6th level, getting the ability to have two guys on the front line who you know are both in trouble, knowing you can heal one and use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack on another, I think that's a solid ability. I think that's actually bread and butter right there. I think it's from there that it falls off. It's just the level 8 and the Corona of Light for 60 feet is okay, but it should have amped up that self-centered AoE damage to really make that a capstone ability, since it's working off of that self light burst anyway agreed like we're like we we're talking earlier if if the level eight ability doesn't scale well because it doesn't do much damage having a capstone ability that does no damage also doesn't scale well all right next one in the player's handbook is the nature domain and you know this was this was one of those that surprised me i really i expected to write off the nature domain as 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 a poor man's druid right I went in expecting not to get excited about the powers or about anything like that. And I'll be honest, I didn't love the flavor of the nature domain. But mechanically, I think you were talking about the level, that level 8 kind of 
I don't know what we want to call it. It's not the capstone ability, but it's kind of like the alpha strike ability for clerics. At level eight, they get the ability to go ahead and kind of do their big boom, right? That's the best divine strike ability this one has. It's the best yeah. divine strike ability, absolutely. And it's because it gives you various options. It doesn't agency. say, well, not just agents. I mean, yes, agency. It allows you to go ahead and, and say, I'm this type of cleric, right? That's definitely part of it. But it's also like, oh, we're fighting undead. It's going to be fire damage. Or, oh, you know what, we're we're fighting whatever else. You know, like, it, I can change the damage type according to what it is that I'm facing. Again, we talked about that party of clerics earlier. Like, the ability to go ahead and take one of these guys with a knowledge cleric to go ahead and say, hey, this is the type of damage that this is, that this is vulnerable to, and they're going to have disadvantage on that check now. So go right ahead and do your thing, nature domain cleric, right? That's why, so I thought from a, from a mechanical point of view, it was surprisingly strong. But again, still not... It's not something that's warming my socks, you know, like it's not, uh, I got to tell you, I started when I first hit this ranking this quite high. Other domains that followed. Yeah. Hit it. Caused this to fall because I, I, I went back to my old adage. Do I like this more or less than the one I'm now reading? You know, do, is it higher than the one that came before? Yes or no. If no, mark it one under. If yes, go up to the next one and go up to the next one and so on and so forth. That's how I ranked it. So I found that a lot of things kept changing positions. And for a while, this was near the top. But but then all of a sudden, it started dropping hard. Like it dropped precipitously at a certain point because so many things were so strong. And it has nothing to do with this not being good. It, it just doesn't. I actually chose to rank it. I totally agree with you, Liwanika. It's mechanics are solid. They're right there. But its flavor just kept getting hit because everything else was more flavorful. I, like, I, And I can sum up exactly what my fla- what my flavor issue with the Nature Domain Cleric is, right? So again, it's that, it's that Druid variant Cleric, right? With heavy armor proficiency. Yeah, why? Why? Uh, why? I, I can answer that kind of. Please. Yeah. All right. I'll give you my, my take on the Nature Druid. You ready? It's crap. It's crap. I ranked it with straight ones to make sure it landed at the bottom. And I don't say that because it has no value. All right. It's too effing specific. If I wanted to play a druid, I'd play a druid. In fact, when it comes to nature, it makes more sense for your relation to the deity to be through more the way that a druid does it. But there are two ways I can see playing a nature druid. Or I mean, a nature cleric. One, because, you know, not all people who think nature is a good thing live in the woods. If I was from a city and I joined a church there, and so I learned, you know, bookman's version of nature as opposed to being raised by wolves. But the other one is when you accept the fact that clerics are also warriors, that heavy armor says this is a warrior, right? So now it's not just a cleric. It's a green knight because knights don't just have to be fighters. He's that nature warrior guy who's got, you know, maybe he's a fey knight. And, you know, he's got some some powers coming to him from the nature side. Those are the only two ways I could see myself playing one, though, which is why I just ranked it at the bottom, because there wasn't really much point after that. So I love what you did there because you've inspired me. I now have a perspective. And that, that was that was what was holding me back. Right. I could think of different ways to do things, but we've talked a lot about what we're going to do with the Fae and. We've got future projects in mind that have to deal with that. And I now have a take and a nature domain cleric because I do like the mechanics so much and was missing some 
ways to make it shine, that has inspired me. I thought in many ways this was kind of all over the place. There are some things that make great sense, and there are some things that I was perplexed by. And I think you're right. If you're going to do a night, it's there. I just, I would have preferred two skills to the heavy armor. Put them in medium, grant them medium, or clerics already get medium, and give them two skills to choose from. That, that's just me. I like skill monkeys, so that that it, that is my personal preference. And there's a lot of nature skills that could be between survival, animal handling. I could see that. Right. So, I mean, that's three That's three skills. Clerics don't get a lot of them. None of those three are on their regular list. So if you're going to try to be a nature cleric that has all three of these, you're now putting a lot of heavy lifting and limiting your backgrounds significantly to get all three of these skills. Or you're requiring some kind of multi-class to get the other skill. And that's kind of, and, and so, and, and there's agency and choices involved with that. So I get it, but I would think there should be a way to build this character where you could get all three. And that would be challenging the gate. The other NPC that I saw was actually an evil nature domain cleric with all of its creature control abilities um i i thought of something akin to not on the same level of but akin to the to the swarm keeper um you know that the the um you know the the bad guy that is running through the woods and you're chasing after him and then all of a sudden a wolf is there in front of you and you got to contend with the wolf while the guy gets away or you know whatever like that you know not so much as like a familiar for a wizard or anything like that but more just like some somebody who can kind of uh who can bend nature to their will um perhaps from, the hex blood yeah i mean yeah oh oh gross yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, right uh, a yeah. swamp ridden hex blood nature domain uh, pulling up like crocodiles and oozes and oh yeah i can see that yeah, yeah. from the npc so, like, perspective and, and and that's the downside when it's the specific is as a swarm keeper even we talked about that with ranger that channel divinity ability of charm plants and animals i mean yeah okay at second level that's hot as hell if you're playing in the woods but that's the only situation you can write it as an npc and you can make sure that they have creatures around them then you can create that thematic villain. But for, for a PC, it's just too specific. Right. But if I'm playing a PC, let's say we're playing a city campaign, I'm asking questions like, so we're in this building. Is Are there any plants here? I'm walking in, like we sneak into, we're in there at night. I'm going to talk to the plants that are in the Arboretum. Who's passed through these walls? Tell me the secrets that have been told here. I'm, as a player, looking for where plants are. Because believe it or not, everybody in medieval cities subsistence farm there's a garden somewhere there's a place on somebody's property if they're if they're wealthier it, you know there's going to be something there where uh somebody's got something growing uh it was much more prevalent than it is now but even in the modern era if i were playing 5e rules and all these classes as written in a modern era guess what most people have some kind of house plan a lot of people have a garden. I spent most of my afternoon working on my garden. I went out and bought plants and was working on the garden that's sitting on my back deck because I like doing it. I like that tangibility of the air. I got it. You know, we talk about the DM perspective, the storyteller perspective, but let's also throw this bone to our players. As we said, none of these are bad, but some of them require a little extra heavy lifting or a little extra effort to kind of see that piece. So Glenn gave a couple really nice pieces of inspiration that I think work really a fey touch nature domain cleric 
who focuses on combat skills. Take the uh, take one of the uh, martial uh, like the fighter initiate, the, yeah. the fighter initiate, or the martial adept, or whatever. Yeah. Now you get your your now you get your uh, fighting style and a weapon. Now we're talking. Like there's a way to build this, and it would be very cool and a positive, a strong player character. That is different than a ranking. A ranking is ranking exactly what we see compared to exactly what we saw and exactly what we will see compared to the other so stuff. Th- this one's just right. Weak sauce. It's just this one's drops, despite the fact that we all love it. And I gave it better marks for want to play because I love Faye and I am definitely thinking Faye Knight. Dude, I can see amazing concepts for it, but it would have to be for the right campaign. I wouldn't want to play it in just any campaign. So when I'm looking at want to play, I got to go with just the overall inspiration. And it, I could find it, but it doesn't jump out at me. Take your Fey Nature Cleric and propose a uh, Shadowfell like Death Cleric as its nemesis, or even as its Seely Unseely side. You know, like I'm all about it. All right. So the next one that we're going to talk about is like this is going to sound very very strange when you actually see how our rankings wound up at the end because this was collectively across the board our number one rank subclass i ranked it uh it's like certainly within the top three it's in the top three for all of us and it wound up being the number one ranked and yet even still with that i think that this is a subclass that had so much promise and fell a little flat uh we're talking about the tempest cleric so i ranked this number one from want to play number one from flavor we just did our mortal Kombat episode not that long ago like did we say that Raiden was a Tempest cleric? Because if we didn't, we aired. <laughs> I, I believe we did not. I think we've, we, may, we, we may have for the first time in six months totally failed. Because, wow, I like truly love this class. I love this class, yeah. I am going to throw myself on the sword a little bit and say perhaps... I was a little harsh on this subclass because I ranked it second from the bottom for its mechanics. And I ranked it second from the bottom from its mechanics for one reason. I will admit that I think I have been unfair. Why the f*** does it have fly as its 17th level ability? Like that's, that's flat out awful. That's just, it's just awful. That's why I reduced its, that's the only reason I reduced its mechanical ranking. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Killed its mechanics. So we're ranking one through 14. I rank this for mechanics at a nine. That is high, but it is not top tier high. And you're correct. That's why that's one of the things I brought down. I mean, mobility is great. You give him fly at 14, like damn near every other thing in every other class. There's another subclass that gets fly at six. Yeah. I mean, whatever. SMR gets fly part time at third. Yeah. You know, heck. If it was fly with extra speed or fly with, and you get a thunderous boom that everybody has to make a deck save when you take <laughs> off. Well, and when awesome. you land, yeah, that would work for me. Like Superman and Man of Steel. If you did that whenever you flew, now we're talking. Now I love your 17th level ability. Dude, or like an epic leap that comes down and like uh, bringing down Mohan's your position on the ground that throws out a self-centered AOE of lightning or something. That would be badass Just too. Just give them a hammer that nobody else can lift, and there you go. Yeah, you know, these are the things that are like, there was a way to make this better than just, oh, you get fly with no concentrate. You get a fly speed. I didn't knock it down terribly for it. I, I ranked this one 12 mechanically, because that's the only thing I didn't like about it. And I'm like, we want to talk about the capstone ability, but by and large, 
if you you, you have to not multi-class and play long enough to get there. So how often how how, how often are you going to get there? Yeah, I, I can admit it. I was harsh. I get it. Yeah, so, absolutely guilty. I want to talk about the spell list and the domain spell list, which were decent. But here's what this class lacks. It has fantastic abilities to add damage to certain types of spells. The problem is 5e doesn't have damn near enough spells of that type. There are not enough of them. As cool as the ability is, you are pigeonholing yourself into effectively becoming a one-trick pony. Your ability to do things, unless you have a storyteller who has homebrewed, something akin to at a spell level, any energy type, you can change to the energy type of your choosing. There are storytellers, myself included, who will often offer that to players. Make it more difficult and you can change it to your will, right? Uh, but only to one thing and you have to decide one time what that one thing is. So you're going to play Tempest Claire. You can do that to make it one for thunder and maybe two for lightning or one for lightning and two for thunder. Take, I, I would, I would, I would allow any player at my table to do that. And I think that's a fair trade off. But I also have to say that there's just not a lot of thunder and lightning spells, not enough of them. Yeah, there are, that's fair. there are a few, but not enough to be as powerful as this seems in writing. You know, yep. and I missed I that. did like the addition of Sleet Storm and Ice Storm, though. I thought I think that Sleet Storm and Ice Storm are really fun additions, uh, as yep. is Insect Plane. And they make sense, <laughs> I think yeah. That's really just neat. Tempest doesn't have to be just electric. It shouldn't just be about lightning. You are correct. I, I just don't think there's quite enough to... Look, there's a butt-ton of fire spells in the game. There are a butt-ton of radiant spells in the game. There are not a lot of these. And I would implore Wizards of the Coast to, as they do new books and they add new spell lists, to add more spells of that type. Because if you do that, that will only serve to improve. There are more now than when this was written. And I have listened to or watched on YouTube ranking videos from a couple years ago when there was less spells than there are now. And people harped on this issue a lot more then. And there are at least one or two more now. And with the different options that you can do, thanks to Tasha's, there are things that you can mitigate some of this uh, difficulty with. Taking an initiate feat so you can get a wizard initiate and grab a, some more lightning stuff, like you could throw on lightning lure and something else. These are things that would make sense. But in and of itself, that's why I marked it down to nine. That said, nine is not bad because this class rocks. And speaking of rocks, let's get into it. Digging, Glenn, tell me how, how well this rocks. Tell me how I'm wrong. Uh, it's not specifically about how you're wrong. It's more of a caveat on top of it and a little bit of a disagreement. So the thing about Tempest is it is supposed to be the storm and everybody just automatically goes to lightning, but it's not always lightning. You know, a Tempest represents wind, lightning, thunder, and all of that is here, right? And I agree that the that the not cold. lightning damage... Ice storm is... Ice Storm too. That's hot. Bringing in the cold damage for the the cold spells. Sleet Storm and Ice Storm. Yeah, I think but the damage type isn't added in on the level eight. No, no, that's true. But it, I mean, it also gives them gust of wind. I'm just saying that the the domain spells they focus on utility and AOE with a little bit of crowd control, but they're they're solid for for what it's for what this is trying to line up to be right. And then you get your heavy armor. And you get your martial weapons. Like if I remade Anric, he would be a Tempest Priest. Oh, hands down. Hands down. Oh, yeah. 
and his the the ability to the ability to push allies too. So it's like if one of them happens to escape your sleet storm, right? Nope, you just go up there. You can and you can you can push them ten feet as their uh, I think it's their sixth level ability, right? Yeah, push ten feet back with lightning damage to a larger, yeah. smaller creature. So yeah. Oh, and for storytellers out there, in terms of imploring people and for the elemental damage types. Don't be afraid to let your characters reflavor a traditional spell with a different damage type either, like Sprocket does in our actual play, where he took Firebolt, and I asked if I could instead cast it as electric damage. Simple change, no other endgame mechanic whatsoever. It wasn't because of any endgame knowledge about fighting electrical things, it was just everybody cast Firebolt. Well, as an example, if you set it up with your storyteller and you created a Tempest who took Arcane Initiate and got Firebolt but used it as electric... You now have a cantrip that you could get all of these lightning abilities off of too, but or witch bolt, witch bolt, would be witch bolt, yeah, and that's lightning damage. It, but it doesn't have to be in the spells because they built it right into the class, and I think that's the piece you were missing when you brought it back down there, Lee. I think you were missing wrath of the storm is what brings all of those other lightning and thunder abilities back into play for him, because having a reaction again, one of the least used parts of the action economy. If you hit me, I can as a reaction make you make a deck save for half versus two d eight lightning damage a number of times equal to my wisdom mod, right? So I don't even have to make an attack to deal that damage and push you back 10 feet once I'm level 6. I don't disagree with you that Wizards of the Coast needs to expand the spell list in terms of the way they're using elemental damage, but they built it into the class and it works well within his own abilities. Wait a minute. Do all of these abilities stack? So I hit you. Wrath of the Storm allows me to go ahead and, and after I hit you, make you take lightning and thunder damage. Now that you've taken lightning and thunder damage, Channel Divinity says that that lightning and thunder damage is max, and that's at second level. And so it's at it's at max dice. So instead that's of a bonus action, an, instead of an average of nine or ten, right? Now you're taking sixteen if you fail your save, right? So that's that's a big step. Seven additional hit points between first and second level. That's a big stack, right? Is you're right that that's a, that's a bonus ability, right? And now also you'd have to have not used your bonus action on your turn yet. Okay, that's fine. Like I I looked at this. Clerics don't get that many bonus action things, which is fine. So. Right and Thunderstrike, which does not have an action requirement. Every time, it's, it's just automatic. When I deal lightning damage, I can also push them ten feet away. So at sixth level, I can hit you, make you take sixteen points of lightning damage, and push you ten feet away because I've got those three abilities. And yes. then, and then when you look at Divine Strike, so now at eighth level, not only am I doing. I'm doing 16 points of lightning damage because of my first level. I'm now doing another eight points of damage because of my eighth level ability. So it's my hit plus 24 plus a 10 foot. Move. Except divine strike is specifically a strike. You would be able to use that on your reaction. Well, it has to be a weapon. As long as you did it right. with a weapon, divine right. strike works. So, well, so here's the question though: Does the weapon have to be the lightning damage, or is it? Are all those? Are those? Ex- I like, think that's going to be between the storyteller and the player. No, no, no. The rules, uh, the rules as written, are very specific on this score. An item in hand is a weapon. Period. A spell is not a weapon unless you're talking about like booming blade, which basically adds on to a weapon attack. Oh, okay, that's right. It's the other way around. Sorry, Wrath of the Storm is a defensive thing. A wand, unless you're physically whacking somebody with it, it is not a weapon. Yeah, that's right. Wrath of the Storm is a defensive thing. If I get hit, you take lightning damage. But you can still add that lightning damage and push any creature you hit back 10 feet with that ability. Like, all of its abilities nest. Yeah, all that it says is when you deal, not when you attack. Except for Lamo flying at 17. Everything else nests really well. 
However, Josh, if you are playing in Faerun, for example, where weapons can be purchased and things are found at every magic shop on every corner, like a 7-Eleven slushy machine, which actually appears in some high schools, you can turn <laughs> around and just buy a lightning blade or a lightning mace. And now your weapon attack does do that and does all the other things. Well, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So before eighth level, you're right. So if you're before eighth level, then because at eighth level, your attacks now do lightning damage. And so they get the max dice and they get the and they get the push. But before that, you can just buy buy a plus one but, lightning blade and, yep. you know, a dagger of lightning strike. And a, a dagger of lightning strike would actually do all the things you need. And, and oh, wait, there's no range requirement. You could go ahead and get like a bow that does lightning damage. Yeah, it's just a weapon. It doesn't have to be just a weapon. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't have yeah. to be melee attack. Yeah. It's just a uh, weapon. Looking at you, arcane archer, and right, and mixing with yeah. this bad yeah, like, ass. Like all of a sudden, you're so all of a sudden from 120 feet away, an arrow flies out of the air, hits you in the chest, and you fall back 10 feet, taking lightning damage. <laughs> all right, turn around, go home. Yeah, yeah. turn, turn around. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm done, boss. <laughs> but I could have a good time making this one. I had it up pretty yeah. high too. Yeah, um, I would probably. Oh yeah, go... it's, it's the number one ranked subclass for all of us. So that's uh, collectively anyway, not yes, for all correct. of us individually. It's, it's probably second, I think, for me. Possibly third. I think it's third for I think me. It's, it's it's second for you. It was third uh, for me, se- and it was third for me also. Cool. Um, oh, if I did this one though, I'd want to do it for a nautical campaign. I did say Anric, but I mean Anric was Norse. I'd want to stay near none of my Norse homelands. Get on a ship. And play this guy as a Corsair battle priest, as an Air Genasi or a Half Sea Elf. You know, and you got Gust of Wind to improve your maneuverability. And uh, So I'm thinking an Earth Genasi in the desert, a la Dark Sun, with this, stirring up sandstorms and all that. And I really think this is where they kind of missed the ball on the eighth. They needed to put in, it's got to be a choice. I think, it, I don't think you need to pick like they have in other abilities. I think it needs to be flavored to a choice you make, right? You're going to be the lightning guy, the thunder guy, the ice storm guy, or the whatever guy. Like, you still have all the other spells. Everything else can be the same. But for this ability, I think you choose. And this becomes a signature ability. And eighth level is a perfect level for a signature ability. You're playing for a little while. You're lo- Yeah, Divine Strike should be could be a choice. You're you right. You know, if you had that choice and, and let it do sand damage and have it be piercing the piercing sands or whatever you or can... let it have the choice of any just like nature does let them have all three let them pick which one they want to use lightning thunder cold yeah i think there's a way to do that i just think we need to find a way to get some kind of sandstorm thing which is a spell that doesn't exist or a damage set that doesn't exist i don't know how to do that but magical piercing would be fine for me and call it sandstorm i would definitely homebrew that uh somebody please at my table an <laughs> idea so we can have some fun Somebody who's storytelling for me in the future, I'm pitching this idea. Let me know so we can have some fun. So we hoped to go ahead and get through all of the player handbook uh, subclasses before uh, rolling off here at the end of episode one. Um, but I think that this is a good place to stop because we have talked a lot about these subclasses so far and the cleric class in general. So we are going to call episode one here after talking about knowledge, life, light, nature, and tempest. And we're going to pick up with episode two next week when we start talking about the trickery domain. Uh, so hope you guys have enjoyed so far. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. 
we would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.